Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again to do another episode of the Nolcast. So, Bud, we were um, fortunate enough to record an episode kind of as ACC exit Armageddon was playing out there four or five days ago. Um, good stuff. I think that's a good conversation. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, I would you know encourage you to go back and take a listen to what our immediate thoughts were as that news uh, started to break. We did have to kind of press pause on doing a more thorough signing day review uh, or just roster. It's more just kind of a roster breakdown more than anything else, rather than a, a review of, of one particular day. But obviously early signing day plays a, a massive role in shaping of a roster in modern college football. It's really not even worth calling early signing day. Um, it is, you know, the signing day for all intents and purposes. And you may have one or two kids trickle in in the February date. But, uh, you know, what what was once uh, the old signing day that many of us know is, is long since gone and never going to return. And, um, yeah, maybe they could look at a um, from a macro perspective as trying to place some of this stuff around so that it doesn't all transpire within one window as far as, uh, you know, end of season bowl prep, uh, portal opening, roster retention, final weeks of recruiting, final 10 days of recruiting. It, it was literally a um, window of insanity there, but very good class that we can go back and look at. It was not maybe the class that some had hoped for, certainly understand that, or the class that some thought they might sign, you know, even as recent as five to seven days before signing day. Uh, but very solid class by far the class, uh, the best class that Mike has signed during his time at Florida State. And, uh, you know, we'll just go back and forth, giving our opinions on individual uh, needs filled. Uh, some of the kids that, you know, filled uh, some of the things you did on signing day and where there are strengths and weaknesses in the class as we see them. Yeah, I, I think that that's a good point, right? Like, so overall, the class ranks, uh, I think, ninth on, on the 24-7 sports composite, 13th if you just use the 24-7 sports rating. So, you know, somewhere in that range uh, feels you know, kind of roughly about right. Uh, I'm a little more towards the second number there because of kind of where your stars come from in terms of the, the premium positions versus the non-premium. Uh, but still, it is the best class they've signed, uh, on paper at least, in Mike in Mike's time in Tallahassee for sure. And yet, like it does feel like a bit of a missed opportunity when you go thirteen and zero when you have the year that you did. You know, when, when you have some marquee games for players to visit, and by all accounts, you know, you hit those visits out of the park. Um, it it makes me, I don't know, like there are some kind of lingering questions in my mind now about some things, right? with this program. This program is moving in the right direction, right? Like this program is positioning itself to make the college football playoff, I think, more often than not in this 12-team format. This program's getting better. This program is showing me that they do a pretty good job of developing players. And I think they do a pretty good job of talent ID. I'm also really unchanged on my opinion of this staff as recruiters, right? And by recruiters, I mean sales. All right. Recruiting is effort, energy, relationships, engagement. You have 13 and 0 on the field to sell. You have what is my opinion and the opinion of a lot of other folks out there, an elite NIL program with the battle's end to sell once players get on campus. And you did have some notable misses down the stretch that, you know, we'll talk about it as the show goes on. But you'd like to think that you could cash in at a higher rate than the staff did. Um, you know, I, I have some lingering questions, right? Like one, Mike Norvell preaches get better every day. Is this staff getting better year over year at recruiting? Or are they going to run this thing back yet again? I don't think this staff is a above average recruiting staff when, when we are talking about the programs at the level at which you aspire to be, right? Would Nick Saban accept this level of recruiting? Would Kirby Smart? Would Ryan Day? You know, would Steve Sarkeesian? I don't know. We know this is a good coaching staff. They do a nice job coaching this football team up. So that's a question I have. Another one I'll, I'll throw out there. Like, does Mike Norvell know what an elite recruiting operation looks like? And I'm not being sarcastic here. He's never worked for somebody who, who ran an elite recruiting operation. So we really don't know if he knows or doesn't know what one should look like. Is the balance of this staff, and I've said this on the show many times, 
I think he needs more, whether that's more effort or more talent as a recruiter. But there's no doubt in my mind, this is a talent acquisition business. You've got to go out and get the very best players if you want to win that 14th game, that 15th game, in you know, come college football playoff time, that 16th game, which, I mean, this program has three rings in the last 30 years. That's where they all aspire to get to. So, yeah, like this is a nice class. It's definitely the best class that they have signed. It does leave me asking like, hey, if they do this with a 13-0 awesome year, sending a bunch of guys to the draft, what does that say about this staff as recruiters? Do they have the right balance of coaching and recruiting on this staff? I I don't think they do personally, but uh, we'll see what Mike Ravel says. Yeah. Do, do you think the staff got, you know, not look not that I'm in a place to make professional evaluations on guys, but certainly I think staff got dramatically better at the one position group where you made a change last year. And, yeah. you know, maybe that's more how this um, transformation works. I, I have no idea what anybody's plans are um, from a assistant coaching plans or, or what their, you know, future career may look like, but maybe a core that gets, you know, tinkered with maybe, you know, one position at a time or whatever. I do think that, um, you know, you may not see Florida State sign like a top two or top three rec recruiting class uh, at a high school. I think it may be, you know, maybe six or eight or something like that. Just look, I'm just spitballing here. Um, I think you're going to have to continue to develop, as you referenced, and the staff is very, very good at that. Um, and then we'll just have to see what it looks like through the portal. I mean, the portal has been changed. Uh, I don't know. Let me, I mean, but don't let me get on my own soapbox here. But um, like with what happened last week to where you can have multiple transfers. Um, yeah. Dog, everything's changed. I mean, there, there is, it, it would be equivalent to if there were NFL free agency every season. Um, it, it is. We're going to need to make some some modifications there because I'm I'm all for player empowerment and players having the ability to um to have mobility. Uh, at the same time, you've got to have some kind of structure, um, and you've got to have some kind of knowledge as to what your roster is going to look like year over year. Um, having said that, what I'm trying to say is that just because the first 20 days of the portal have gone by, does not this is not going to follow the traditional arc of past portals where most of your top end guys were in the portal and out of the portal in like the first 10 days or something like that. You're going to have a, a longer prolonged uh, more talent rich portal cycle here. Um, and you're going to need to have a little bit of patience as you try to go through and evaluate. I mean, I'm shocked by daily by the amount of talent that I continue, continue to see entering the portal, you know, this deep into the portal cycle. So there's a lot of things that change here. There's a lot of things in flux. Um, I think you'll have to look back with a little bit of time. Uh, obviously, that's needed to judge anything um, and see, you know, what level of portal class you brought in. And, you know, this if this is the trajectory that Mike and his staff are, are making at the high school level, Yes, these kids did watch Florida State go three, uh, 13 and 0 this year. They did. I'm not trying to make excuses for anybody, but they also, you know, as sophomores saw Florida State go five and seven or whatever it was. And, and, you know, last year was really the first year that anybody from the high school level took Florida State seriously in a long time. Um, so I do think that there's a probably a little bit of a lagging uh, goodwill indicator uh, to make up a term there at the high school level that you'll have to continue to perform to, uh, you know, to be looked at in the same light as Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, et cetera. Um, but I do think it's a significant step forward. I mean, last year you were really hanging your hat on the fact that, hey, we went and got a Hakeem Williams and we went and got a, uh, a Lucas Simmons. Well, those are great players. And, and those are kids that you desperately needed to get for multiple reasons. Um, you've, you know, you've probably got about 12 players in this year's class that are somewhat similar level players as to those two uh, from last year. So you are dramatically improving uh, the roster. It was not the dramatic improvement that, you know, people wanted. I get it. You've suffered some, some very tough, um, I don't know, well, losses. Yeah. I mean, look, you, 
I understand the passion that is associated with a sport, believe me. And I understand the passion and the emotion that gets tied into signing day for a fan base. I mean, it is, I, I you know, all but used to skip school so that I could follow uh, this day when I was growing up. And I, I get it. And to be cheering for a program that's lost your highest ranked commitment for three years in a row is going to elicit emotion. I fully understand that and, and, and would say that's very legitimate. Um, as a staff, you've, you've got to look at that. You've got to look at there. These are all one-off instances. These are all, you know, things that I don't think are directly tied together, but you're still, you know, having a repetitive theme here of losing some of the more talented kids in your class in the final five days of signing day. And that's, both a, a toughie in the fact that you're not, you know, getting that that is maybe the most highest rated prospects out there that you're associated with, but also it, you know, leaves your fan base with a sour taste in their mouth. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I understand people's emotion. I understand people's frustration. Absolutely. It it has to drive Mike nuts, right? I mean, like he, he's an extremely competitive dude to, to lose guys like that down the stretch. And, and, you know, not that he's asked me, but if he did, I'd be like, look, man, I've covered recruiting in the state for a long time. Jimbo and his staff, they loved recruiting against Randy Shannon. Loved it. If You just extended Adam Fuller, who is not an, a major asset as a recruiter. Clearly, Mike Norvell thinks he's a great on-field coach. That's why you gave the guy a three-year extension. Is the balance of the staff correct in terms of your ability to have guys who have real juice on the trail? who know who is actually making the decision in the recruitment, who you know like can make the call and the kid picks up the phone there and you stay on the phone with them and you get it done, right? In my opinion, I don't think that it is. Over and over again, they are missing in the front seven. Florida State is not signing game wreckers in the front seven. Not nearly enough. Now, I think your point about, about the, the two portal, the, the double transfers, it's extremely well made. Because like that's going to make the portal much more viable going forward for as long as that lasts. Because it used to be you sign a kid out of the portal, he can't go anywhere yeah. and, until he graduates. You're probably going to suffer some defections that you didn't expect either because of that. Um, totally. I mean, it's Both just, ways. Uh, it's crazy. But yeah. Yeah. Which, again, I do think that the double portal thing really makes you emphasize culture a lot. Right? Now, NIL is really important in that as well. But making sure the kids are actually happy where they are, understanding that they are they're all pulling towards a common goal, that they enjoy the teammates they're with, that they like the atmosphere they're around. That's important too, right? This double portal thing is I think it's gonna expose some programs that don't have very good culture because you come in and then you you can bounce again. Just a prediction. I also think we're entering the era of the decommitment portal. Um, like you're going to see kids commit to multiple schools. That's what I'm saying throughout this portal process. Uh, that's going to be a thing. I mean, look, in, in, until they sign or, well, you don't really sign anything as a transfer until they enroll, you know, there's no real, uh, there's no real reason not to also like, couldn't you just, couldn't you be at one school in the spring and be at another school in the fall? Under this new rule, um, I know that I think in wasn't the wording from what was recently released that uh, you've got to enter it in this window to be eligible. Um, I don't know, man. Look, what's happening is because the NCAA doesn't want to enter a courtroom. They know they're going to lose if they enter a courtroom. Yeah. So I think they're going to continue to, you know, um, defer to things that get brought to it and any attempt to avoid a, a judicial setting uh, will take place. And if that means being concerned about a kid's going to sue you because he, you know, entered the portal in January and then tried to enter it again in April to another place, then so be it. Uh, it also is going to be like, see, if you're a first-year player and maybe you didn't get as much playing time as you would have liked to or whatever – uh, but then you're getting an offer from a program that normally like you wouldn't really have given real consideration to because like, look, man, I don't want to go, you know, out there, wherever that may be, um, or up there or down there or whatever. Um, 
because I just don't know if that's a good fit for me. Well, now you can go take the bag, and if it doesn't work out, then good. Just portal back home, you know, in, in a year, or, or portal, you know, to a school that finished second in your high school recruiting, whatever it may be. Um, it's going to be, I mean, I, th- I think at this point it's almost like designed anarchy. I, I think there's elements of this that um, the NCAA just wants people to th- hold their hands up and say, you know, I, no moss. And uh, I get it. I've, uh, I've kind of felt that way the last 48 hours at times. So uh, I, I understand. I, I just think it's a, I understand people's frustrations uh, as to how the class closed. And um, we'll just have to see what kind of modifications are made from the perspective of, you know, who's actually doing the recruiting and um, you know, you'll, you'll get a better feel for what the full recruiting class or whatever you want to say, you know, the incoming level of talent is once the, uh, the first window here closes and the portal and, and particularly once the spring window closes. I, I also think once you get the quarterback out of the portal, whoever it is, that, that that's going to somewhat set the table for some of this stuff, right? I mean, just, just looking at it, and this does kind of set the table. Once you have the quarterback in place, I think some other kids will be more interested in the school, depending on who that player is. Obviously, Tate Rodemaker has decided to hit the portal. Um, that doesn't surprise me. The fact that he did it before the Orange Bowl, but after participating in Orange Bowl practices, does a little bit it's probably a smart decision on his part i would actually think just because most likely the offense in the orange bowl is going to look terrible i think so you're not likely to help yourself with better film um you know uh by playing in that orange bowl against uga but how do i say this i've been operating under the of the mindset that Florida State, the playoff snub, was more about a lack of an award for an amazing season, like not being rewarded for how good, damn good of a season you had and how you overcame the adversity. I think we differ on this a little bit, but I really don't think that with Tate that you had a legitimate shot to win. And I think... Had FSU missed on their couple top quarterback portal targets, I think you guys would be shocked at the level of quarterback that they would take over Tate Rodemaker as far as through the portal. Like, I don't think that they thought he was an option to start next year at all. No. But I do think Florida State is going to get a solid portal quarterback, probably a pretty damn good one. So, you know, like as of today, no news there yet, but we'll see what happens. Um, that's clearly something that they're in the market for, and they're they're mentioned within all the reports for, you know, Cam Ward, whether he goes pro or Florida State or Miami or whatever, you know, DJU. Um, you know, there, there's the whole Howard thing today going around. A lot of different schools involved in that. Is Ohio State going to stick with, uh, with with Brown at quarterback, or are they going to go after a transfer? Now we've been hearing different things there. W- once you get the quarterback done, a lot of this stuff I think more falls into place, and I do think you're going to have a good football team next year. Is it going to be as good as this year's team? No. But 2023 was an all-in year. To me, unless you recruit like Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, or Texas at the high school level, you're probably not having all-in years every single year. It doesn't mean you don't spend money. It doesn't mean you don't try to make the best possible team that you can. But you also need to operate with common sense, okay, as far as short-term assets, long-term assets. And granted, to your point with the whole portal thing, and now you can transfer multiple times. The concept of short-term versus long-term assets development, upside versus floor, the balancing thereof, that changes a little bit. But like also clearly, if you like your young roster, you're going to want to make sure that young roster has a lot of NIL opportunities so that they remain happy during a developmental year, which I think you're probably coming up on somewhat. A developmental year that you would still like to, to have a real shot to make the college football playoff. A developmental year that you'd like to have a real shot, you know, to go and play for an ACC championship, uh, right? But still a bit of a developmental year. Um, yeah, so we'll see what happens. What we know happens when, when, when you call a legendary team, as more than 500 of our listeners have, you're getting an excellent loan for your new home. 
Chad does a great job, 844-FSU loan, 844-FSU loan. He also has a nice offer for return customers as well right now. And look, it's never an easy process to buy a home. Legendary wants to help you guys make sure that you make the best possible choice for you and walk you through the, the process to make sure that it is seamless and get you the, the best possible rate and loan setup and structure for your needs. You got anything more more macro before we go micro and kind of hit on, on the different positions? Um, I hope people don't interpret this as excuse making or whatever else. It's, it's certainly not. Um, I do think that. Let's see, the people that I speak with who are, have their ear to the proverbial train track that is high school recruiting um, immediately gave me feedback on Sunday while I was driving back to Georgia that uh, this is going to hurt recruiting like this is this is bad. Um, so I do think the playoff snub. Look, you can say that next year is going to be a 12 team playoff. You can you can do all these things. You still had a you still had some kids who sat there and watched Florida State go 13 and 0 and then not get invited or you know not get chosen, whatever term you want to use for the college football playoff. And did it impact everybody? No, I don't think so. But when we're sitting here talking about the final decisions made by two or three kids, um did it help you? No, it certainly didn't help you. I can tell you it didn't help you at all. Um, I I do think that that, you know, may have made you, may have had you lose some steam with some kids that uh, I think you were in a better place for. So did it ultimately cost you a kid? I don't know. You're, again, you're only talking, you're talking about a very small sample size here of guys that we're, we're talking about that didn't sign for Florida State at the last moment. Um, but it certainly didn't do you any favors. I, I think that's fair. Um, I think it hurts you more in portal than it did. You know, I, I don't think you see some of the guys, you know, make some of the tweets they did or make some of the rash decisions they made in, in the portal. Uh, some of whom looks like maybe they've made terrible decisions in terms of the opportunities that they were afforded after they've hit the portal so far. Um, I think you stay together as a team a little bit better if 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 that doesn't happen. I don't know that I totally buy it you know, that it was killing your high school recruiting, you know? Um, but I agree. It certainly didn't help. Like the mood around the program was not great. I mean, Norvell looked like death. Yeah. Still. And like, obviously was, you know, was sick for a little while. So um, yeah, I, I definitely think it, it hurt your vibe. Um, but but I will, we'll see. I, it was just, it was it was the worst timing possible. Uh, you had yeah. that happen. You had coaches. You know, literally had a couple minutes with kids uh, to explain to them. You know, at least to what from the kids' perspective felt like a, an incredible injustice that was done. Um, and then you had the coaches who immediately had to go get on the road and go recruiting. I mean, again, it's just the way the calendar set up right now, and you know the coaches. I don't know, man. Like, do these coaches necessarily need these kids? I mean, look, I believe these coaches provide a lot of value to these kids all the time. That's not what I'm trying to say. But, like, do these kids need these coaches on, like, you know, March 16th to yell at them to go to the weight room or whatever? Yeah, that's probably a good thing. Um, or not yell at them, but just, you know, provide consistency and sure. structure, et cetera. Yeah. Did this? Did the, did these kids really need those coaches in the days and hours and the immediate aftermath of uh, getting snubbed? Yeah, I, th I think they probably did, uh, and it's unfortunate because you have to go on the road, you come back, you host your final two weekends of official visits. Um, you just had a period of time, and then you had, you know, all these guys declare who wouldn't have otherwise declared. Um, and so I just think you, you know, what you said a second ago, your your vibe got your vibe got blindsided, you know, the, the vibe caught a right hook from nowhere and all the momentum and, and good feelings and things that you thought you had. Uh, it's not as though they all just dissipated immediately, but um, certainly got checked to a level that you didn't expect otherwise. I agree. All right. So let's go, uh, let's go micro here. Quarterback. We talked about like some of this class is not premium positions. You know, there are positions FSU likes, but, Quarterback is one, and you got Luke Cromenhoek, who's the like a top five quarterback pretty much regardless of, of rating service out there. Big-time kid. Excuse me. 
out of Savannah. I mean, 6'4", buck 85, maybe a little more now. Real live arm, excellent athlete. Was a guy who you know played played a lot of safety, played some receiver uh, prior to becoming a quarterback because the kid who was starting over him ended up being a four-star who signed with Auburn. I think was a good recruiter for FSU, stuck with FSU throughout the process, you know, tweeted kind of thanks, but no thanks late when I believe Georgia probably came after him uh, when they lost Dylan Riola to Nebraska. But there are parts of this class that you can criticize. This is not one. This was an early evaluation by FSU. I mean, do we think that they thought that uh, that this kid was going to be this good this early? I don't know. I mean, if I'm on that staff, I'm like, damn right I did. Of course I knew. But I think we knew pretty early that, uh, about him, at least somewhat, when he was better at that camp than Chris Parson was. And when a lot of folks were flipping out two summers ago about losing Chris Parson, I was like, guys, Chris Parson's a nice player, man. But like, there's nothing about seeing him in person that makes you think he's a guy that's going to you know, take you to a national title or not. And who knows if Luke will. But I do think the ceiling on, on Luke is is pretty damn good, man. So. A, a bit of a raw guy, not a ton of experience as a starter in high school, but the tools and the ceiling are all there. Like that, that's a guy I think you got to be really excited that you got in this class. Yeah, I feel like the uh, entirety of this kid's recruitment, I've been able to sit and and listen to you talk about it on this podcast. I mean, I remember the days that you first saw him at camp and some of the arm strength that was immediately available or immediately you know evident. Um, yeah, just to have signed back-to-back classes with Luke and Brock, um, that's exceptionally significant. You know, you, you've given yourself a, a floor at the quarterback position uh, that this program has needed for a long time. Um, I think both kids are competitors. I don't really know Luke. Uh, I've gotten to know Brock fairly well in the first year and good kid who's really liked by his teammates. And I imagine Luke will be the same just from having watched him go through his recruiting process and the way that he's bonded with kids. Um, I think he signed one of the four or five best kids in the, in the country at this position. Uh, great for you to be able to, you know, the number of kids in this class that are from Georgia and Florida uh, really gives you kind of a domestic uh, grounds of which to operate off of in future classes and in Florida state continuing to be a player in Savannah is not a bad thing at all. So um, I think it's a, I think it's hit on multiple fronts. Really excited to see what Luke looks like uh, in the spring. Obviously, he's at practice currently, and so he's going to be able to have a little bit of a, uh, a more accelerated acclimation process. Um, but Luke Roman Hawks a, a massive ad for this class, and you know certainly one of the, uh, one of the the major gets that you had. Completely. No, I I, I agree with you on that. Um, running back. So not a premium position, but certainly a position that Mike Norvell has had a lot of guys star at, even back to his Memphis days. You, you, you look at Tony Gibson, you, you, you look at obviously a guy like a Trey Benson. Heck, Treshawn Ward got paid by Kansas State, right, at, out of this offense, and now he's uh, now he's going to Boston College. So a lot of guys can look good in this offense. You know, with all due respect to Rodney Hill, when that whole craziness was going down, I was like, let him go. He's a good player. I think Cam Davis is going to play immediately as a freshman and, and be really good. There's a bit of like Maurice Jones drew to his game. If, if, if you want to comp, I mean, he's, he's built like a fire hydrant, but moves obviously much better mm-hmm. than a fire hydrant. I think he's a guy who is real competitive. Um, I saw him play for his tight action team one day, the, um, the seven on team. And it wasn't like the national team. It was like the local Southeastern team that Harrison runs. And they didn't bring a quarterback to the event. I was like, well, that's a problem, right? Like if I'm a receiver on this team, I'm kind of pissed. They stuck Cam back there at quarterback. And they actually were like fairly competitive on the day. Like I don't think they didn't win the tournament or anything. And I, I know they, they lost some games, but his ability to move, to run around and, and make guys miss was pretty damn impressive. I think he shows nice patience as a runner. He's certainly a guy who's got a lot of power to his game, and he can catch the football. I have seen him on days when they did bring a QB. Um, he can catch football in space. So and pretty easy top 10 back in the country. Like 
the questions here. Like, does he have the elite long speed? I don't know. That's more of an NFL question to me, to be honest. Uh, I, I think he's a guy who's going to be a really, really good college player for you. And some end of the staff is, is pretty pumped up to have. Yeah. Played quarterback for Doherty a decent amount in his final two years there as well. Um, yeah, just a, a kid to be really excited about, you know, one of the more sought, highly sought after five to eight running backs in the country this year. Again, great for Florida State to have a presence in southwest Georgia and in a city like Albany. Um, Davis, early commitment, stayed with you throughout the whole time, uh, never wavered. It's a little bit of a different disposition, I would say, than than some running backs as far as just maybe sees himself as a larger piece of the offense and wants to be a leader. Um, yeah, excited. No, again, another exciting piece here, a guy that you got to what commit as a sophomore and stayed with you throughout the whole process, which speaks a lot to uh, consistency of contact and, and relationship developed throughout the recruiting process. Uh, Davis is a significant get. And, you know, I don't, I think Micah Danzi is probably going to be playing running back more than anything else. Uh, that's would be my guess, but you can certainly give your opinion there as well. Um, a guy who, who's, is able to answer the uh, the long speed question definitively. Yeah. Uh, compliments Davis really well. Local product here out of uh, out of Tallahassee. Um, you know, if these are your your one two combination at running backs, then I think you've done very well here. So Danzi is definitely the lightning to, to Cam Davis's thunder. I, I think he'll be used kind of in that Toa Philly role, uh, maybe a little bit of the Jakai Douglas role, where you you can use him in the backfield. You can split him out. The hands there are a question for sure. I and mean, if that's kind of what it comes down to to me, if Danzy can catch the football, he's going to be a really dangerous guy because they do like to run a lot of these wheel routes in FSU's offense. They do like to motion guys out, get the favorable matchup with, with, with those shifts, and then throw the guy, throw, throw in the ball vertically down the field to use his speed to threaten. If he doesn't catch the ball more consistently, he'll be a bust. That's really what it comes down to to me because, like, the speed, no doubt. Like the guy has electric speed. There's a reason, even with those questions, that he's still in the top two four seven, right? And then he was a guy that a lot of national programs, I, I think, kicked the tires on, and is a nice get for you at home. So, uh, I think you know, quarterback is an A. Running back for me, if we're just putting grades on this, is an A. Another position I think you have to be pretty excited about overall is receiver. Now they didn't land Jeremiah Smith down the stretch. I, they were never going to get Cam Coleman, I really don't think. Um, some folks did. I just I didn't think that was realistic. If, if he wasn't going to go to A&M, he was going to go to Auburn, and that's where he signed. That was one Auburn kind of kind of had to have uh, when you're fighting Bama and Georgia as your top two rivals, and you got a lot of you know got a lot of money to spend, and, and you just had a terrible season. And need to make some kind of some kind of noise there on the trail. So, Lloyd McCoy, Elijah Moore, B.J. Gibson. And Camden Fryer. I think there's a lot to like here, but I like the the diversity of body and the diversity of skill set. So, Loey McCoy is like super slippery guy who has really nice ball skills. I think he has really special hips and nice first step quickness. Um, he can go get the deep ball too, I think. And just a guy that every time you watch him, he's making plays in basically almost any setting. He's also a dude. I know he's not going to play corner here. I do think he's a guy who could play corner at a really high level because I've seen him do it some. If you saw the uh, Central and Chaminade game, uh, McCoy is probably the best player on the field uh, playing yeah. playing both positions. Uh, special athlete, absolutely. And to your your uh, variety of body comment is you know you pair this you play with the McCoy kid who's you know six one one eighty with uh, Elijah Moore who's 64 you know 198 that's a that's a great comparison i mean or that's a great uh, contrast and that's great um i th i think very highly of the, of the Elijah Moore kid and i'm not trying to sell anybody on a on a replacement for Jeremiah Smith Jeremiah Smith was a uniquely talented kid who you went after and you know didn't get at the final moment that's that's what happens when you're going after you know one of the more talented wide receiver prospects the last five or 10 years, depending on who you're listening to. But uh, I do think Elijah Moore has a chance to be an absolute superstar here and uh, may take a second to develop. But I, th I think in a couple of years, that's somebody that you may look back as one of the cornerstones of this class. 
definitely, I think, a, a low floor, high upside player there, right? You're going to get him out of Maryland. That's a guy that different schools had kind of wildly different opinions on. Um, if you can get him to buy in, if you can get him to consistently be doing the right things and be working hard, right, and and, and buying into your process and, and being part of your program, I do think he has nice upside. A guy, like big-time contested catch guy, good red zone presence, probably not an elite speed guy, but trying to think like of a recent comp for him. Maybe Auden Tate is, is, is a good one. If people want like, like an FSU comparison, a, you know, bigger body guy, not elite speed does catch the football really well. Route tree is a little bit limited. You know, not the most athletic dude in terms of, of getting separation and elusivity. But he is a real, real nice contested catch guy. And if you get him buying in, he also should be a good blocker with that size. So another thing to like there. Gibson, I think, is your is your yak monster here. A guy with the ball in his hands can be pretty special after the catch. I think he has a nice feel for playing the game, can get open underneath as well. Uh, dude, you can move around. I, I think you could actually hand him the ball some too. Uh, pretty damn good baseball player. Mm-hmm. Nice balance as an athlete. Like that's a guy who could help you for sure. And and in this era, man, you've got to find some of these guys who are um, what's the right word here? Values, fits. You know, not everybody is somebody who has to demand an elite NIL package immediately upon it, like stepping on campus. You have to find some guys you can contribute early, potentially, and show their worth. You know before they have crazy demands. So getting these local guys, I think, who are good players, who can be helpful for you, is a real big part of recruiting right now. I think FSU did that here. Camden Fryer, legacy kid. I, I just, the, the stop start on him is really damn good. I, I, I think he's going to be a good player for you, honestly. Like, he has better long speed than I think people realize. The ability to get open consistently. Route running is really nice. And I, I think he's more athletic then people are going to give him credit for um, because he's white. And I, I just, I've seen him dust a lot of guys at, at, at these events. So I think it's a nice receiver class. The fact that one of your, one of your big signing day misses was at this position. It does soften the blow a little bit, right? Because you did a nice job with this class. I think Dugans has to be pretty happy with what he's bringing in here. You know? Um. As well as another pass catcher in Landon Thomas, who certainly does not suck, right? Yeah, Landon Thomas um, ranked anywhere as from you know number one to number six tight end in the country, depending on where you look. Um, kid out of Moultrie, Georgia, which has certainly been kind over the years to Florida State, Colquitt County. Um, a guy that went back and forth with you in Georgia a while ago, uh, but what committed again uh, in April and stayed with you throughout the process. Uh, just from speaking to some of the current kids on the team that are from Moultrie, uh, think the world of this kid. Dig this guy is going to be a great locker room fit. Uh, I think he's – I think you'll be real happy when you look back at this in a couple of years and and see the evolution of what you're signing at, at tight end at the high school ranks and that this is this – you know, a definitive example of of upgrade and talent levels as you can point to really anywhere. I agree with you on that. Um, look, I, I think some of the the rankings questions of Landon Thomas are more about like overall athleticism and like next level ability. You know, is he going to be a Brock Bowers? Is he going to be a you know Travis Kelsey? I, maybe not. Yeah, yeah. But he's going to be extremely productive in college. I do. Yeah, if you want your tight ends to be, you know, 6'6", 262, I'm not sure this is going to be that guy. Uh, yeah. All the potential in the world to be a very significant Could he be Nick O'Leary? I think so. That is the comparison that comes to, to mind for me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, maybe not as physical of a blocker as O'Leary. Like, O'Leary really got nasty there, especially in that in, in that 2013 year. But, like, in terms of ability to get open, man, I'm, I'm, I think it's a really nice get. Uh. Here's a spot where I feel like they actually did some underrated good work. This was an offensive line. So this was a rather poor year for offensive line nationally. I think it was a, a pretty damn poor year in the Southeast overall. 
and they ended up landing four guys, and you can kind of see a path for all four being good, right? Four bodies who I don't think are like three years away from potentially playing for you. You know, they're probably two, and that's that's largely the sign of something good. Occasionally, you get a guy who comes in and is ready to play, you know, as a as a true freshman. That's not super, you know, super common. All right, so Manasi Tite, seen him in person a number of times. Really big body guy. I think he does have the ability to play tackle. That's a guy who went out to California, and that was a pretty impressive battle to win, in my opinion. Uh, Jonathan Daniels from Pensacola. Uh, ratings all over the place on him. He's a guy who's played some defensive line. He is like not real tall. He does have pretty damn long arms for his size, and he is really athletic. Um, gonna need to see more consistency, more toughness, I think, on a down-to-down basis. And maybe that will come, even though he is an older prospect. I think he's already 19. Um, maybe that will come with just more feel, more reps along the offensive line. He's gonna need to put on some weight as well. Like he's not a you know, he's not a guy who's 300 pounds at this point. But again, if he hits, that's a really nice upside guy. And, you know, maybe a nice, um, maybe a nice money ball type thing in that there are certain guys who can play tackle more in college than they can in the pros. And there's not a lot of like obvious tackle bodies this year. So going to get one of those guys who has kind of tackle length, maybe not tackle height is uh, is a really nice get by the staff. Kentucky tried to get in late, we heard, but uh, uh, no dice, shut that down. That would have been ridiculous to lose a Florida kid to Kentucky, you know, at, at the gun. So uh, Ty Hilton, kid who plays right by me, seen him here a number of times. Again, I think a pretty nice get for these guys. He does have some real length. I think he bends pretty well. Not a lot of bad weight on him at all. He's a guy who can probably put on some more weight as well. So again, I think there's, some chance he could play tackle, pretty bright kid. I, I think you could have, actually have him play, play, uh, play center or guard for you. And then Jaden Todd, and that's a big, big body for you, right? Who he's probably the one who's like three years away, I would guess, but maybe two. I mean, you never know the, the the progression. He's a guy who, despite the fact that he's he's pretty heavy, uh, was playing baseball like not too long ago. So there is some. Some real functional athleticism for for you there. The only real guy I think you had a legitimate shot to get at certain points who you didn't was the center, Jason Zendamella from, from Clearwater uh, Academy International, CAI. And he ended up going to USC. That's, a, that's kind of an international kid. Um, I believe USC told him he could major in business. That's pretty rare to be able to actually major in business and play at USC. If he's smart enough to do that, and actually handle that load at USC Business School. Congrats. Like that is uh good on you, man. Um, but I think if you're Atkins, you gotta be pretty happy with this haul overall, given that Georgia just vacuumed up almost all the best players in offensive line. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Todd's an intriguing prospect. Like like you said, probably probably a year, you know, on the bike and and doing some other things with feet development. Um, but somebody that's got a potential to be a absolute monster for you and the type of kid that you haven't signed to tackle in a while. So um, interesting to see what, what comes of, uh, of that group, but I agree with you. I think this is, you know, a, a very solid group and um, we'll just have to see what happens with some of these prospects. Daniels is maybe a guard, maybe a tackle. And we'll check in in two years on that one. Um, the ATD kid is, has, has some things that are, make you very uh, encouraged there uh, and a little bit of flexibility of position as well. So um, good, solid group went a little bit all over to get it, but uh good group that I think has a lot of potential in time. All right. Defensive line. Um, so if we're going a on quarterback, a on running back, probably, I don't know what B on receiver, probably B on offensive line. Um, this is like an F for me or a D. You know, like like after the whiffs of the last two years, this is not a, not a, a competitive signing class, in my opinion. Uh, you, you know, you get you get a guy in Jamori Flag who is outside of the top 100 defensive linemen nationally, both on 24/7 and on the composite. Uh, you do get Didi Holmes, who I think has some upside. And look, maybe maybe Jamori Flag will turn in to something, right? Like he's got 
some size, has some production at the high school level, there's some chance that, that the rating services are, are just wrong, right? But I don't think that's a guy like a lot of elite schools were trying to flip down the stretch. So how wrong are they really? And Denos White is a guy who FSU signed, I think has a potential to be like a, a real plugger for you. I mean, six foot two, six foot three, three and a quarter, 330, depending on where you look. I, I know uh, he impressed some folks there at the Shrine Bowl practices out of, uh, out of the Carolinas. But, I mean, this is not the type of, of recruiting that a team that aspires to get a national championship does. Just not. You know? There's no, like, Georgia, they're not sitting there in Athens, Tuscaloosa, in Auburn, in, in Baton Rouge, in Columbus. Hell, in Miami, in Gainesville, and be like, damn, that's a group right there. That's going to mess us up come playoff time. That's going to mess our game plans up. Mm-hmm. It's just not. Yeah, you know, obviously, uh, well, not obviously, in my opinion, it's evident that this program is going to be relying on the portal to do some of its defensive line uh, acquisition. Um, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. We'll see how sustainable that is. I don't, you know, you're probably not going to find a Jared Verse or a Jermaine Johnson or whatever else in the portal. Um, Sometimes right. there is none, like, in the entire portal. Like, not yeah. just for you, but for anybody. Yeah, grabbing defensive tackles out of the portal is never an easy thing to do uh, for multiple reasons. So, you know, this will be an area of focus um, in future classes just to see how this staff responds. It's not the first time uh, you've had a disappointing taste in your mouth when it comes to how a class uh, ends on the defensive line. And, yeah, um, you know, I don't know that I'd go to F, but I I certainly share some of your – you know, sentiments when it comes to the broader group, uh, just compared to what you thought you might be able to do with, with some of the broader uh, wins in your sales from a you know perspective of not just uh, the record that you've had, but I mean, you've, you've had a first round pick at defensive end. You're going to have another first round pick at defensive end this year. Uh, you know, you've developed, you can point to turning Josh Farmer from a, you know, 238 pound defensive tackle into a kid that's, you know, probably going to be a second or third round pick next year or fourth round pick next year. I mean, you've got a lot to point to here. Um, You have one of the most, you know, iconic coaches at the defensive tackle position that's ever coached the sport. Um, I, I would have thought that maybe you could have had a little bit more success here. Agreed. Yeah. Um, Ohio state's got one too. And Larry Johnson, who seems to be struggling quite a bit. So, yeah. You know, maybe the the long term track record is not, you know, is, is not what it used to be. Like I think the, you know, the energy has to be there, and the the relentlessness has to be there. But that's got to come from the top. You know, a lot of guys don't like working for Mario, but Mario works his guys really hard in recruiting, really hard. Uh, congruity, somebody who will help you get aligned a lot. I know we've had a lot of a lot of our our listeners hit up Congruity and Matt Lewis, and they do a Fantastic job. Graham, tell everybody about Congruity. CongruityHR.com is the website. Some people that I have loved working with at multiple different stops uh, for me personally. Uh, Matt, diehard Seminole, fantastic uh, individual to work with in addition to being a Noel fan and a guy that we've literally received nothing but very positive reports as far as what the experience has been like for Noelcast listeners. Uh, so I say... Happy to make a third-party introduction uh, if you want to reach out to me on social or anything else to put you in touch with Matt. Uh, but Matt Lewis and his team are fantastic. Can't vouch for them um, in any more of a, a bolder, authentic manner. CongruityHR.com is the website, and a big thanks to those people, as always. All right, linebacker. Um, you signed two. I think you needed two. Jaden Parrish out of Delray Beach Atlantic. And uh, Tamir Hickman Collins out of uh, Fort Mill, South Carolina. I'll just take the best rating that any service gave these guys. Okay. With the understanding that linebacker past the studs is a hard position to evaluate. Very. Jaden Parrish uh, rated 61st by the composite, I believe 71st by 24-7 sports among linebackers. And Tamir Hickman Collins, uh, 77th in the country was the best rating that he got again just not not recruiting at a competitive level if your goal is to win a natty that's what i'll say here like who did you beat out for these guys 
big time programs or programs who you're claiming in your lawsuit aren't legitimate competition are dragging you down in your chance to make the college ball playoff. It's the latter, right? Maybe they'll be really good and productive guys. We'll see. Um, but man, if you get those top rated linebackers, little dirty little secret, those recruiting rankings on those guys, they're pretty damn good. Mm -hmm. We don't yeah. miss a lot when it comes to those like top 10 rated linebackers. Yeah. yeah. You, linebackers see, you see a... Dumas Johnson hit the portal for Georgia. That's because yeah. he got beat out yeah. by a true freshman, CJ Allen. Uh, linebacker's an interesting position to evaluate. You're right. The 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 best of the best jump out at you, and there's not a whole lot uh, that you can, you know, there's not a whole lot of prognosticating that has to take place there. Uh, it is a highlight tape. I will say there are flashes on Hickman Collins tape that are very impressive. Um, that is a guy that's active, has some range, and when he hits you, he thumps you pretty good. Um, yeah, linebacker recruiting is, you know, something that, continue to have to keep an eye on and see how that develops. You do have, um, you know, by all accounts, it seems like you're off to a good start next year. Um, but, yep. you know, I, I think your, your points on linebackers are, uh, are accurate. So, yeah, if, if you're not, you're either getting one of the studs or you're, you're flipping coins really. And, and so far you're flipping some coins. Um, so yeah, overall, a really nice class, a really nice class. Again, the problem is when you're compounding the errors of prior classes where you're you're really not you're not competitive on defensive line and linebacker recruiting. You know, and we think about past teams who win national titles, they have a lot of game records up front typically. You know, Georgia last year, Georgia the year before, you know, what Bama the year before that, all those Clemson teams. Hell, your team. I mean, Eddie Goldman, Timmy Jardigan played in the NFL a long time, our Edwards Jr even with the weight problem, played in the NFL a long time. Telvin Smith, one of the best linebackers in the NFL until that stuff happened, right? Like, you know, so one spot where I do think you're doing pretty damn well, though, is defensive back. Even without K.J. Bolden, again, similar to what happened with J.J., if you're going to lose a guy, lose him at a, at a position where you're, you're really, really loaded. So Charles Lester, Jamari Howard, Kai Bates, Ricky Knight. I mean, you get three – guys with with serious length there in Lester Howard and Bates who can all run who all have nice athleticism and you get a guy Ricky Knight who I think is is potentially capable of playing like more of a star type role you know that that, that nickel spot a real versatile guy which increasingly is an extremely important position I mean you this is one of the very best defensive back classes in the country if you had Bolden I mean it would be I think clearly the number mm -hmm. one it, it's undoubtedly like like a top three defensive back haul in the country, having a bunch of lockdown guys, I guess we'll figure out like, who's going to play safety out of that. Maybe somebody will, but this is back-to-back -back years now where you've stacked, because uh, we know the staff is extremely excited about who they've signed in last year's class as well at DB. So when you put those two together, you're going to have really good defensive back play. And that's good because you're probably going to need to blitz a lot, I would think, in the coming years some. And you should be able to cover and, uh, and afford yourself that luxury. Yeah. Yeah. Really good DB class. Um, you went over it. You went over the pieces there. Uh, Lester Bates, Howard, three guys at a level that, uh, you know, when you pair those with, uh, with Hussey and Kirkland and some of the other kids that you brought in last year, you've got the makings of a really elite defensive back room. So I uh, think things went well here. Obviously didn't have the, the one piece that uh, that everybody wanted, and um, you know, at the end of the day, if you're if you're going to suffer a high level end of class defection, then you know maybe it's better at a at a place that one you had a bunch of other kids uh, committed, and two, you're still Florida State University. You know, I mean, I, I think this school in any era is going to be able to recruit defensive backs uh, at at a high level, and doesn't mean they you're going to go get KJ Bolden next year. Uh, but you should be able to sign another very competitive, uh, very elite class when it comes to what the rest of the country is able to do. So uh, I'm not trying to minimize anything that didn't go your way on signing day, but um, if it was going to happen at a position group, you know, maybe the secondary is the best place that it could happen. I tend to agree. Um, so I guess we'll see what happens with, with next year class. We'll see what happens 
upcoming in the portal. I think clearly you need to go get a linebacker in the portal. Um, maybe, maybe a safety, but I, I don't know. Like I feel like you should be able to develop that internally. We'll see what they do at receiver. Obviously, quarterback is going to be a need, and then probably two defensive linemen, right? Uh, so. I don't know. It's a little bit concerning that you have to take potentially 10 plus portal players again in year five, but at the same time, less so now with the double transfer rule, right? That that really changes it. Also, you have some guys who just straight up made bad decisions uh, entering the portal. I think got, I mean, I can only guess, but probably exponentially less money and going to lesser programs. Uh, so, uh, well, there's something I want to say I can't say because it's yeah. not very nice. Um, I think I think we'll just have to see how this works out in a couple of years, broadly speaking, for football. I, I wonder if the best strategy here, bud, isn't to try to sign, you know, eight to ten difference makers out of the high school group five to six, you know, guys that you think have elite traits, uh, but also would be, you know, good fits for your locker room in the meantime. We may not be, you know, massive, have come with massive NIL deals, et cetera. And then um, to, you know, choose selectively from the portal moving forward. I just, you know, the um, signing high school kids is definitely that of what you have to do to have the most elite clay, right? Yeah. Uh, but you also have those kids sit on your books for a pretty significant amount of time without a whole lot of production. And, you know, that's, uh, that's something that all schools are going to have to come to terms with and figure out what the balance is. Um, it's a different era in college football and it's, it will be very interesting to see how everybody plots their own course as to how to try to, uh, to tackle this in the best way possible. I agree with you on that. I, I, in some ways, I think specifically as to your bigger positions, right? Your, your your linebackers, your defensive linemen, your offensive linemen. I think you have to get that out of high school for the most part. What Florida State did with the defensive line this year is freaking incredible. Also, is it sustainable? I have my doubts, right? And sustainable is not the right word. Repeatable? From, the, from a portal perspective, you're saying? Correct. If, is it bankable? It, is, is it fist, sustainable? It, yeah, yeah. I mean, also the cost of that is potentially huge, yep. right? Um, any real, real established defensive lineman is going to want big-time NIL opportunities when, when they come. So, like, if you look at, like, what Texas has done, hardly any, I don't maybe none of what they have along the lines of scrimmage or at linebacker is portal. They portal like crazy at your skill positions. Mm-hmm. I kind of don't hate that. Right, the positions where you can go out and just cherry pick it, but like there is definitely a lot of value to understand, like to signing guys, and then you get to keep the best ones, and you cut the like you basically let the other ones walk. It's a it's sort of like like a, a you know self selecting process, right? Where you're ending up with the best ones. From I think on the line of scrimmage, that's increasingly important. Yeah. Um, so we'll see if they can do that going forward. What's always a self-selecting process is choosing where to go when you're in Tallahassee and whether that be Madso Township or our great friends at Charlie Park, the decision is uh, is pretty easy. At least I find it to be. Uh, CharliePartRooftop.com is the website. One of my favorite places around. Uh, absolutely love it. Madso's always there and frequently about a 30-yard walk from me for where I stay. And I love uh, visiting my friends at Madso, but Charlie Park is just a whole nother experience. Uh, compared to other places within the city. So right over there overlooking Cascades Park, uh, Charlie Park is a fantastic spot. Highly recommended by Bud, myself, and many other of our listeners. Uh, Just encourage you to put it on your calendar next time you're going to Tallahassee or if you're in Tallahassee and just looking for something a little bit different. Charlie Park. Absolutely, man. All right. Um, I don't think I have much else for today. We will come back with an Orange Bowl preview. Because yeah. that is what we do. Right. That's that's gonna be kind of want to opt out of this, but I'm not going to. <laughs> uh funny, funny. Yeah. All right. Are you going uh, down? Yeah. Yeah. I am uh I'm headed down to the orange bowl. Yeah. 
as long as I nice weather. Yeah, nice weather. Hope to uh hope to be feeling well enough to go up and battle a little bit of a flu or uh, maybe something else I'll have to go get a test before I jump on an airplane. But uh we'll see, man. It's if you get that flu, thing is I hope currently flying uh, flying around right now. If you get flu, I hope that you perform like Jason Bean did last night for Kansas because the whole the rumor was he had bad flu and then he he ran for like two ten and threw for four forty. So oh, okay, yeah, uh, flu, flu game, game. Yep. flu game, Graham. Yeah, that would be great. That would be great. I like it, man. All right, so again, I think if you're an FSU fan, you are privileged to be listening to a conversation where we both praise and nitpick a top ten recruiting class. That's kind of the takeaway here, right? You are doing things to secure your floor consistently. Questions remain as to your ceiling if you recruit the front seven this way. That's kind of the best way I can put this. We'll see how Mike Norvell chooses to ch to address that, both in the way he runs things in recruiting and in the balance of his staff. But um, that's all I got for today, man. Go, go, go grab some emergency. Appreciate it, my man. I will uh, talk to you soon. Enjoyed it. Um, we'll uh, we'll reconvene shortly for a much anticipated Orange Bowl preview. Definitely. All right. See you, buddy.